Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, we take a trip into space, find out about miracle mushrooms, and I talk to a scientist about real-life inception. But first, it was on this day in 1984 that a Soviet cosmonaut called Svetlana Savitskaya became the first woman to walk in space. 37 years later, Wally Funk's dream came true as she followed in her footsteps in Jeff's spaceship. Five, four, command engine start. Two, one. This past week, Jeff Bezos became the second billionaire to shoot off into space on his uh, <clears throat> uniquely shaped rocket. The ride only lasted 11 minutes, which is a bit underwhelming for $28 million, if you ask me, but it surely won't be Jeff's last trip. Blue Origin, Bezos's company, has already said it wants to send more people up into orbit, but what effects does increased time in space have on the human body? Former NASA astronaut Garrett Reisman shared his insight with Tech Insider, and according to him, the lack of gravity can have some interesting effects. So you have a shift in your fluid. A lot of the blood volume that normally is, is down in your legs ends up up here, and your chest kind of puffs up, and your face puffs up. And you can see it. Uh, if you look at pictures of us on the space station, it looks like we put on some weight or something, and we're all puffed up. Swelling in the upper body puts pressure on the eyes too, which can cause vision problems. A lot of us, including myself, uh, had a shift in our vision while we're up in space. You start out, everything is fine, and all of a sudden, things get blurry. We can see the effects of it. We can see swelling in the optic nerve, but we're still not 100% sure exactly what's causing it and how to stop it. Without gravity working against it, the heart doesn't have to work as hard to pump blood throughout the body. Shockingly, this means your heart could actually get smaller. Definitely not something Jeff needs. There is an effect on, on the cardiovascular system about being up in space. So you do get a reduced uh, aerobic capability. You could be in great shape, and after being up in space for a couple of days, you, you might get on the treadmill and you might be like, man, I must not have been hitting the gym. But there are some benefits. Apparently, being in space can actually make you taller. So yes, you do get taller when you go to space. It's the whole reason I signed up for this job. Your spine is being compressed uh, by gravity. So when you go into the microgravity environment and you you're no longer have any kind of compressive loads on the spine at all, it stretches. And, and for, I, I grew about an inch. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, let's head to the sea. Oh, peaceful, right? For many of us, we associate these sounds with a happy day at the beach. But beneath the surface, the ocean's acoustic environment is no longer the idyllic soundtrack we imagine it to be. 
Between ship engines, underwater blasts, sonar and oil drilling, the ocean is now plagued with human-created noise. And as bioacoustic engineer Michel André explains, this is all fairly recent stuff. It is a harmony of sounds that um, lived there for millions of years. Then, as human beings, we started to introduce different sound, artificial sound, through our activities only a hundred years ago. So this is really recent that we have started to invade with our sound. Noise pollution is recognised as a major threat to marine life and now a global team of researchers has set out to understand how human-made noise affects all kinds of aquatic wildlife. Science journalist Nicola Jones tells us more. Perhaps the easiest thing for scientists to assess is the effect of acute noise, really loud, sudden blasts that might cause physical injury or hearing loss. In the 1960s, after the introduction of more powerful sonar technologies, the number of incidents of mass whale strandings went up dramatically. And it's not just marine mammals. Fish, if they stray too close to the source of a, a loud sound, their fish bladders may actually explode. The air gun blasts from seismic surveys can mow down a swath of zooplankton, the tiny creatures near the base of the food chain. And even non-scientists have noticed the impact of noise in our oceans. Seismic surveying is a controversial topic at the coast and new research is only adding to the conversation. One of those impacted is local fisherman Jack Cox. He's seen firsthand the impact seismic surveying has on fish. It does something that we just don't catch fish. The researchers of the new study are now calling for human-induced noise to be considered an environmental stressor at the global scale and for policy to be developed to mitigate its effects. According to Professor Carlos M. Duarte, the lead researcher of the new study, the main takeaway is that mitigating the impacts of noise from human activities on marine life is key to achieving a healthier ocean. And, you know what? It's relatively easy. The good news, as I heard from all the researchers I spoke to, is that you can do something relatively easily about ocean noise. Unlike the wicked problems of climate change and ocean acidification, you can just dial down the knob on ocean noise and see almost immediate impacts. So, for example, in 2017, the Fangover-Fraser Port Authority started asking ships to simply slow down when going through the Harrow Strait, where the southern resident killer whales are feeding in late summer. In that 2017 trial, most of the ships complied, adding about half an hour to their travel time and reducing noise by about 1.2 decibels, or 24% of noise intensity. Simple technological innovations are already reducing propeller noise from ships and government policy could accelerate their use in the shipping industry and spawn new innovations, all of which could help to calm the oceans and make sea life just that bit easier. The Earth's resources are limited, as we all know, and in a time of global warming and increasingly common climate events like extreme floods and even an ocean on fire, there's a growing awareness that something has to be done. And it turns out the answer could lie in the humble fungus. According to Paul Stamitz, mushrooms could be the key to saving the Earth. Paul's a mycologist who focuses on mycelium, the underground root-like structure of mushrooms. Harnessing the, the, bio, the biological potential of organisms on this planet, I think is a game changer and it's a sustainable uh, game changer. The fashion industry is one of the world's biggest polluters and it's responsible for 10% of annual global carbon emissions, more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. Mycelium for textiles uh, looks really great. 
uh, Stella McCartney and I, uh, Paul McCartney's daughter and I uh, are in communication. She's a very big pro proponent. There's a company called Bolt. It is one of several companies, but it's the company that I'm most familiar with. Uh, but they have just taken this to the next level. Mycelium leather can reportedly grow on a sheet of sawdust in two weeks, and fashion powerhouse Adidas has already made a pair of their iconic Stan Smiths using it. So how do they turn out? Well, Amy James, Vice President of Futures at Adidas, was certainly pleased. It's really supple to touch. It's extremely durable and it's been developed in a way that will have similar longevity to leather. And the benefits don't just stop there. Mushrooms and mycelium could even help with future pandemics. After 9-11, Paul consulted the US Department of Defence in testing mycelium extracts against smallpox and other viruses that could be weaponized. Our discovery of using these mushroom and mycelial extracts opens up the doors of opportunity for preventing uh, pandemics of, of viruses coming from pigs uh, or swine, coming from chickens or ducks or other types of fowl. We can show that we can upregulate the immunity so they can naturally defend themselves against pathogens, including viruses. Many of these pathogens are also, unfortunately, make the infected individual more susceptible to other diseases fungal and bacterial pathogens. So hospitals can become vectors of uh, pathogens. I think COVID has really made people focused on this, that the invisible realm can have a traumatic impact on the macroscopic world. And us that live in the macroscopic world, although we cannot see the viruses, we can see the consequences of viral infection. It doesn't get any bigger than this, folks. These are truly paradigm-shifting solutions, all centered on mushrooms. Wow, what a fun guy. Hey, I said, but that ah, forget it. Exercise is one of those things that's just too easy to put off. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's raining. We all know we need to do it for our cardiovascular health, but let's be honest, sticking to an exercise plan is no <laughs> walk in the park. In England alone, approximately one in four adults have high blood pressure, putting them at greater risk of heart attack or strokes, yet fewer than 40% meet recommended aerobic exercise guidelines. Over at the University of Colorado at Boulder, researchers have shown that a clever breathing exercise that can be done in just five minutes can reduce blood pressure in weeks, with benefits on par with daily exercise or medication. This is Daniel Craighead, the study's lead author. We recently performed a study looking at high-resistance inspiratory muscle strength training, which is a type of breathing exercise and involves inhaling through a handheld device to see if it could lower blood pressure. What's special about high-resistance inspiratory muscle strength training is that you train at a very high intensity, so you only need to perform 30 inhalations a day, which takes only about five minutes. So we think because it's so time efficient, it might be a highly adherable intervention that people can do in their busy lives. So how did this technique come about? Was it invented by your team of researchers? Inspiratory muscle strength training is not a new technique, but performing it at a high resistance that requires only 30 breaths per day and looking to see if it can lower blood pressure and improve cardiovascular health is new. And what were the conclusions from the study? We found that after six weeks of performing high-resistance inspiratory muscle strength training, systolic blood pressure was 9 millimeters mercury lower, which if sustained in the long term would decrease someone's risk for cardiovascular disease. 
We also saw that blood vessel function was improved and markers of inflammation and oxidative stress went down. So all this suggests that high resistance inspiratory muscle strength training improves cardiovascular health. The reduction in blood pressure we saw is very similar to what is caused by aerobic exercise, weight loss, eating a healthy diet, and other healthy lifestyle strategies. However, it required only five minutes a day, so we think that could be an advantage over some of these other lifestyle strategies. This breathing exercise, it almost sounds like a magic pill for heart health. Does this mean we can lay off the exercise and healthy eating just a bit? High resistance inspiratory muscle strength training didn't improve every marker of cardiovascular health. For example, cholesterol and blood sugar were unchanged, so people shouldn't stop doing other healthy lifestyle strategies, but they could think about adding high resistance inspiratory muscle strength training to their current healthy practices. Be honest, do you do this yourself? I've been incorporating these workouts in my daily routine for a while now. It doesn't take very much time, so the burden is pretty low. So if it can help me at all, I think it's worth it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Unless you live under a rock, you've probably seen the Facebook post with the face of Kanye West in a pizza or the recent viral pic from New Haven that looked like the face of Neptune in a dramatic storm wave. Whether it's on tree trunks, in the clouds or even on a doorknob, humans are hardwired to see faces absolutely everywhere. The scientific term is face pareidolia, and until now, scientists haven't understood exactly what's going on in the brain when we do this. Now, though, neuroscientists at the University of Sydney have been busy figuring out what goes on up there when we see Jesus in a piece of toast. My name is David L.A. I'm a professor of psychology at the University of Sydney in Australia. Sometimes you see an object that happens to trigger a face response in the brain because it resembles the classic face configuration. You have apparently two eyes over a nose and a mouth. And we know that that's enough to trigger the brain to respond very vigorously as if it's a face. The same face processing regions in the brain respond to these so-called face pareidolia images as response to real faces. So we wanted to know, does the brain not just recognise that this might be a face, but go on to extract the emotional content from it. So, how do you figure this out? These faces are often strikingly expressive, so we had a series of faces presented to, to observers who simply sat in front of the computer screen and rated how happy or angry the face looked on a continuum. And it's well known with real faces that when you see a happy face, the next face looks even happier. Or if you see an angry face, the next one looks angrier. So we wanted to know if that carryover effect would occur with these pareidolia faces, and it does. And in fact, the pareidolia face previous can still prime up a real face on the current trial. So it's as if the brain responds to faces and pareidolia images and extracts their expression in exactly the same way and makes no distinction. 
How very strange, but is there a benefit to this human quirk? We're the most sophisticated social species and it's vitally important that we very quickly uh, and without a fail detect faces. What we use is this face template of two eyes over a nose and a mouth. It's very quick and efficient to apply by the brain, takes no cognitive effort and it rarely misses a face. On the other hand, you get the occasional false positive when an object that resembles a face triggers a face response in your brain. If you think about what this means, well, we can be thankful for one thing. We wouldn't have emojis if we didn't have the ability to extract emotion from things that appear to be faces. been a tough year for Big Lawn Mower. As people become more aware of the need to provide green spaces and natural opportunities for flowers and wild hedgerows to protect the world's at-risk bee population, cutting the grass has become a social activity that's a bit frowned upon. But we do still like an orderly patch of grass in a park so we can lounge in the summer sun. So maybe the good people who run Manhattan's Riverside Park have come up with the perfect solution. Earlier this month, two dozen goats were let loose in the New York City Park with a very serious mission to munch. This is Dan Gorodnik, President and CEO of Riverside Park Conservancy. We've got some very steep slopes covered with a lot of invasive plants, including poison ivy. Uh, and because of the slopes and the presence of poison ivy, uh, it's very difficult for our professional gardeners to be able to get in there and do the job. Uh, enter the goats. So how did this initiative start? They first came to us in... Uh, 2019, they're all retired from past careers, uh, dairy goats, uh, for the most part. Uh, they took the city by storm. Uh, people loved to see the goats running through Riverside Park and then tending to our, uh, our slopes in Riverside Park. It was very exciting, and of course, it's a great and uh, pesticide-free, chemical-free way for us to uh, deal with invasive plants. And what's on the menu for these goats? Well, they've got um, uh, mugwort, porcelain berry, bittersweet vine, poison ivy, you name it, they've got it right there in, uh, in that area of natural woodland in Riverside Park. Uh, you know, bringing the, the goats is like treating them to an all-you-can-eat buffet. So the goats are clearly having a great time, but what's the response been like from residents? The crowd loves them. People uh, visit the goats every single day. They've picked favourites. Uh, they are able to vote for their favourite this year. We are having an election. People can vote the goat, the greatest of all time. And we've got five goats who are competing uh, in this election. They are... Uh, Buckles, Chalupa, Skittles, Malamar, and Mizbo Peep. They are the Fab Five. Hundreds of votes have already been cast. Candidates have put out their statements as to what they uh, want to accomplish if elected. We're really excited about this election. It's our first ever ranked choice vote. So we are really excited about uh, what's happening out there, and we hope people will come to visit us. My money's on Mizbo Peep. Hopefully they'll be back <clears throat> again next year. Sorry again. The 
you may have noticed, but we don't mind an adult or two here on the Smart 7. I mean, you've got to pay the bills, right? But with audiences increasingly fractured as linear TV becomes a thing of the past and everyone switches from big screens to social media, how do advertisers get their message across? Well, the good people at Cause have been working on a new scheme to tap into those eight hours of ad-free time you enjoy every night. They've devised a new technique which could actually infiltrate your dreams with something called targeted dream incubation. It involves you relaxing into some cause-created chill-out sounds before you nod off, which in theory will carry on into your dreams, leaving you gasping for a pint when the alarm goes off, which doesn't sound massively healthy unless you live above a Weatherspoons. So, is this actually a thing? I sat down with Bob Stickgold, the cognitive neuroscientist and professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, to find out more. It turns out that we can... Uh, influence the content of our dreams in a couple of ways. We can do it uh, just by what we're paying attention to, what we're thinking about, what we're feeling in the minutes right before we fall asleep. But it turns out we can also do it by um, playing music, speech, uh, presenting smells, touch, um, any sensory input while we're actually sleeping that this can also be used as a, as a technique to alter our dreams. It sounds pretty crazy. Does it work? It does. Adam Horowitz, who developed this, this recent Dormio technique for doing uh, dream incubation, had all of his subjects um, reporting dreams related to the content he was trying to uh, induce in them. Is it something that we would consciously notice during our dream? Well... The, the pernicious part of this is that you would almost never remember it after you wake up. That feels quite unfair. <laughs> to say the least. Um, we first became aware of this work after hearing about Cause's advertising campaign. Why, why did this concern you so much, this campaign? Well, it was the first time we saw corporate advertising try to intentionally induce dreaming in individuals. And in this particular case, their goal was to uh, manipulate people's dreams in a way that would induce them to buy an addictive drug and use it. I mean, this was a horrifying concept to us. We knew the inception story. We knew, you know, sort of the sci-fi version of it, but we didn't really expect uh, the advertising industry to leap on this so quickly. To, to listeners of the podcast who are thinking, well, I've got an Alexa, I've got a smart speaker, I've got a Google Home, that are already supposedly listening to every word I say, even though they say they're not. Um, and now I've got Dream Inception to start worrying about. How do you recommend that they navigate their way through this, I guess, potential, I guess it's a threat, potential threat? I would say get that device out of your bedroom. In the US, there's 40 million of these smart speakers in people's bedrooms. And I will predict that in the next two to three years, those speakers will be able to detect when you're awake and when you're asleep because those methodologies also already exist. And they'll tell you that they want to do this so they can turn off your music when you fall asleep, which is great. But what they won't tell you and what I fear they will do is turn other stuff on after you fall asleep. And finally, uh, were you a fan of the film? Inception. I'm a science fiction fan. In fact, I'm a science fiction author. So I, 
appreciated the concept and I appreciated the movie. But it's the it's the same it's the same dilemma. What happens when others can take over our dreams? It's not a pretty picture. We've been talking about corporate America or corporations. We haven't talked about governments. I have this nightmare that while I'm asleep, my, my cell phone is quietly saying to me, trust the man with the orange hair. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.